Welcome to Nutrition Mission with Ansco Foods. My name is Cam Harper and I'm your host for Season 1, Beef, Lamb and Iron Man, where we will be bringing you nutrition and good health from New Zealand's finest beef and lamb. Today we will be talking to clinical psychologist Julia Rutledge about the impact of nutrients and nutrition on mental health. Julia is a professor of psychology and a clinical psychologist in the School of Psychology, Speech and Hearing at the University of Canterbury. The director of the Puna Toyota, the Mental Health and Nutrition Research Lab, theme leader in the Child Wellbeing Institute and co-author of The Better Brain. And stay tuned for our Sprint to the Finish segment at the end of the podcast where we do a series of quick fire questions. Hello Julia, how are you? I'm very well Cam, how are you? I'm outstanding, thank you. Now Julia, tell us about your background in psychology. Sure, Um, so you can hear probably from my accent that I'm not from here. I'm originally from Canada and I did my PhD at the University of Calgary in um, Calgary, Alberta, Canada and uh, trained as a clinical psychologist, I learned how to do psychotherapy, working with people with serious mental health problems. Um, And uh, then I did a postdoc at at Toronto at the Hospital for Sick Children, and then I moved to New Zealand um, to teach about child clinical psychology in the clinical program at the University of Canterbury. What brought you to New Zealand? What was the the pull that brought you here? (laughs) A job. I got offered the a post at as a lecturer back then in 2000, uh, and I moved here with my husband. We thought a couple of years, and we're still here. And we now have two grown-up Kiwi children, so we've um, we've settled here. Seems pretty permanent. Why psychology? Have you is that something you've always been interested in through your teen years, yeah. perhaps, and into adulthood? Um. Absolutely. I, I definitely, I think it probably started in my teenage years where I got very interested in mental health issues. I grew up with a mom who st- really struggled really significantly with anxiety and saw how debilitating it was for her and got very interested in the ways we learn how to treat um, people who are struggling. And so I firsthand saw the benefits of some of the treatments and medications, but I also saw some of the really challenging difficulties associated with the treatments and which is why I guess I ended up in clinical psychology because I wanted to see if there are other things that could help people who are struggling with mental health issues outside of medication. Um, Eventually that led me to the research that I've been doing now on nutrition but originally it was about uh, using other methods and tools to try to help people who were struggling with these really challenging and debilitating symptoms. And on that, Julia, looking after our mental health has been highlighted in recent years, and it really has come to the fore, and rightfully so. It sure has. What what factors would you say, very wide-ranging question here, but what factors would you say have contributed to the decline in people's general mental health? That's a big question. There's definitely a lot of contributors, and I, I would say many of the contributors, to be honest, are environmental. And, uh, you you know, you look at the rapid change in our environment over a very short period of time, whether that's uh, the introduction of uh, technology, which is obvious, is often blamed, although the data on that are mixed and you can't say it's a clear cut association between introduction of social media and and rise of mental health issues. It's it's definitely a 
a possible contributor, but probably not as large as we think. Um, another one, though, that is obviously very near and dear to my heart is our food environment. And our food environment has changed the most rapidly in our entire history. So you think about the last hundred years, we've had the introduction of so many foods that our ancestors simply were not exposed to. And I wouldn't even like to call them foods because foods are supposed to be nourishing for the brain. But if you think about going in your supermarket and you're surrounded by these packaged products and you, if you look at the ingredients, they are not ingredients that your great grandparents would have recognized. You've got a whole bunch of numbers on there. You've got emulsifiers, you've got preservatives, you've got your flavors, your colors, and you've got a a whole host of other added ingredients that are added in in order to make that food taste, um, make, make it palatable, make it something that you want to eat. So I would definitely say, based on the research that's been done over the last decade or so, that that is a contributor that we really, really need to pay attention to. Uh, it's um, such an easy one for, technically easy one, for us to be able to change in order to be able to improve the mental health actually at a probably at a population level. So I'm very much a big proponent of looking at that food environment and saying we collectively, because we can't do it on an individual level, we collectively need to address um, how toxic it is for our mental health. It's a definite contributor. I would hate to say it's the only thing, but I see this as being one of the big ones that we really need to be paying attention to in the 21st century. So you are talking earlier, Julia, about the clinical trials uh, that you've run in your career, but that link between nutrition and mental health, what were some of the, uh, you know, what was the, I guess, the kicker to get you into doing clinical trials on that link between nutrition and mental health? Sure, that's a really good question. So I, I talked about how I did my training in clinical psychology at the University of Calgary. So the coincidental moment that happened when I was there was that my PhD supervisor, Bonnie Kaplan, who I co-wrote The Better Brain with, uh, she was approached by some families from southern Alberta, Canada, who claimed to be using nutrients at that point in a sort of pill form, vitamins and minerals, to treat really serious psychiatric problems like bipolar disorder, psychosis, depression, which are really viewed as conditions that only medications and or psychotherapy can treat. So to hear that nutrition was making an impact on them, well, at first she didn't believe them. Um, But then she thought, I'm going to study them. I'm going to study this idea. She was publishing preliminary trials, showing some really impressive changes in symptoms associated with bipolar disorder, and those were published in the early part of the century, that I thought, what what do I have to lose? I'm the, you know, as an educator, as a, someone at, hired at a university, we are the critics and conscience of society, and sometimes you have to study ideas that contravene the current way of thinking. And I have to, you know, absolutely, at the time, which was in the probably around 2005, 2006, to study the effects of nutrition on mental health was absolutely contravening the current way of thinking. 
I, I was trained that nutrition was irrelevant to the brain. It was not part of the curriculum. You can say that's true of anyone who's, who treats people with mental health disorders, is that it's just simply not covered because it's not being seen as relevant. That is changing now, but that's as a consequence of people like myself and others around the world who have you know, decided to look at whether, you know, do the hardcore clinical trials, do the randomized control trials that are necessary to change that evidence base. And then hopefully over time, we're going to be able to change that landscape and make sure that looking at people's nutrition is a core part of addressing this mental health crisis that we're facing. But not only that, uh, start looking at it as a preventative strategy that, you know, we again, going back to what I was saying before, we need at a population level to be changing um, the food that we are eating. The data show that about half of our calories at a population level come from ultra-processed products. And so that's what I see as being really the low-hanging fruit is that, you know, we are not eating a healthy diet at a population level. Uh, and that's true of uh, studies that have been done here in New Zealand, but also all over the world. So it's really something that uh, we, all, we need to um, urgently address is to start um, looking at reducing the consumption of ultra-processed products and increasing the consumption of real whole foods. That's your your nuts, your legumes, your um, obviously your fruits and vegetables, uh, uh, good quality grass-fed meat, uh, your fish, um, those types of foods, and then reducing your ta- intake of your uh, those those foods that I was talking about, the packaged foods with lots and lots of numbers and ingredients on them. The thing is, though, Julia, when you think about it, and you don't have to think very much, just listening to you now, it's so painfully obvious, isn't it? It is painfully obvious, yes. And so it's also painful for me to see that it's not getting the attention that it deserves uh, from a government level. I look at the way they're trying to address the current mental health crisis is by, you know, actually training more clinical psychologists. I should be excited. Uh, It's something that I've been involved in for over 20 years. And yet I know that that is not the solution. You'll never be able to train enough clinical psychologists or other psychologists or mental health counselors to address the mental health crisis. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not feasible. It's not economically feasible. And then I think there's so much opportunity if we addressed the, some of these core uh, contributors to the mental health crisis, I think we would go so much further. Clinical psychologists are the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Addressing the food environment would be um, taking a really radical, well, I, I guess radical, I don't think it's that actually, to be honest, that radical, but really a, just a far more preventative uh, and cost-effective way of addressing not just the mental health crisis, but also the um, all the other chronic health issues that we see plagued in our society today, your diabetes, your type two, um, uh, yeah, type two diabetes, your cardiovascular problems, obesity, et cetera. So all of those would also be um, potentially addressed, not necessarily fully, but we'd go a long way if we really took this to heart 
Um, but it does involve enormous government um, investment. It in- involves all of us uh, getting on board on the research that's been done, um, the convincing uh, control trials that have shown the importance of vitamins and minerals for brain health, the the studies that have been done where they manipulate diet and they change di- um, people's diets from the ultra-processed products to real whole foods and see the benefit that it can have on depression, on anxiety, uh, ADHD. So uh, it, it does require ed- all of us to sort of embrace this opportunity and um, and move away from the pharmaceutical model that has dominated. I don't want to be negative about pharmaceutical model because it's done a lot of good for many people. But then, you know, telling you about that personal story, I also know that it can come with harm for some people. And ultimately, it can um, lead to, you know, some people just simply don't get better by that approach. So we need to have more tools in our toolbox. Now, you, you were talking before, and I said in the intro, that you've um, recently published a book called The Better Brain. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Sure. I mean, it, what, it's, it goes into much greater depth about all of the things that I've just talked to you about in the last, you know, 10 minutes. So goes into the why. Why do we need to care about, say, for example, the vitamin and mineral density of your food? And so we explain what these vitamins and minerals do in your brain. So they support the manufacture of everything that is made. So your neurotransmitters, your enzymes, your hormones, your, you can, we cannot make these really important uh, signalers without the presence of vitamins and minerals. And um, it supports the a healthy DNA supports uh, it's turning DNA on and off. Uh, it supports your mitochondria, which are the important powerhouses of every cell in our body. Helps with energy production. So they're so vital, and so we spend a lot of time going into that. And then we go into well, where do you find these minerals and vitamins? And you can't find them really in any great level from your ultra processed products. There's a little bit of fortification of a few B vitamins, but you won't get the full array of those vitamins and minerals um, from those types of foods. You need to get them from your real whole foods, nutrient dense foods. Um, And it's not just minerals and vitamins. We also need to make sure we get a good supply of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, And of course, your your macronutrients are important too. But our focus on the carbs and and proteins and fats has really been, has unfortunately overshadowed the importance of these micronutrients. And then we go into the research. So compelling research, study after study after study, showing that if you, you know, all the associations between the poor diet and and, and greater um, uh, risk of mental health problems, good diet associated with lower risk, the longitudinal studies tracking people over time, and then the randomized control trials that I described. So, Julia, we've been, we've been running this, uh, this podcast series, and it's been about mm. optimizing nutrition for training for an Ironman. So, yeah. so what do you think is the ideal diet for optimizing your brain? I mean, another wide-ranging question, but is there an ideal or is it dependent on the person and where they're at? I'm not an expert on that area of the you know the a- athletes and because they're they're quite 
they can be quite different from the population that I'm most used to, which is people struggling with a mental health issue. But I, yeah. I don't think that the recommendations really are that different. I know that mm. there's a lot that goes into that personalized approach for people who are training at that level. But when it comes to making sure that you're mentally well, it isn't hard. The research shows that a real whole food diet, what I described before, um, is 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 what you should be going for. The more you restrict, um, that worries me. So the more you go down the route of, I'm going to restrict my intake of, say, um, fish or meat, or I worry that we are going down a route of, um, of, of restricting certain foods that are actually really nourishing. And meat is an example um, that where there's been a lot of flack against meat. And I actually just need to say is that I'm not paid by ANSCO to say that. Um, I'm not funded by industry at all. I'm not funded by the supplement industry. I'm not funded by, by the meat industry. I just say that because... Um, I know the research and I understand what nutrients are available in certain uh, foods that aren't available in other foods. Uh, some examples would be things like B12 or your access to bioavailable iron. Over this podcast, that uh, I've been lucky enough to talk to some very, very interesting people. Um, a couple of top New Zealand Ironman athletes, um, Hannah Berry and Braden Curry, and talked to another lady, Mickey Willardin. Mickey's a... Uh, um, yeah, I know her you, well. you know Mickey? She's a fantastic mm-hmm. lady, professor in nutrition. Nick Gill, performance and strength and conditioning coach for the All Blacks. Uh, another guy, John Newsom. Uh, we've talked to John, who's a, a coach in Christchurch. And they've all said the same thing. And that is that whole foods, a good balanced diet is going to take you a heck of a long way. And it's really interesting because it wasn't that many years ago, many people were saying you need to have supplements, you need to do this, you need to do that. But it's interesting to see that swing is really coming back to having good, healthy, whole, simple foods. Which is quite surprising when you say it, when you hear that, right? You kind of go, well, of course. Yeah. Um, if you're under a lot of stress, so, you know, thinking aloud about the stress associated with doing a marathon, I haven't done one. I haven't done an Ironman. It's not in my vision, to be honest, of ever wanting to do one. Um, but I assume that that is quite a stress load on your body. And it may be under those circumstances. I certainly know from the research that we've done on disasters, if, you know, following the Christchurch earthquakes, for example, giving people additional nutrients when the fight-flight response is is so great and it's been triggered so repeatedly, giving people additional nutrients in pill form, particularly B vitamins, was a really effective way of helping them um, cope and be, become more resilient. As we were saying, I mean, it sounds very obvious, and it is obvious. I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, Julia. But I also understand, you know, when you get people who are under enormous personal strain or they're working every hour that they, that's given to them, it's easy for them. And especially when you look at cost of living and you look at their schedules and everything else, they do choose convenience over whole foods. I mean, how do we get that step change in thinking to get going? Yeah, no, that's a tough one. Um, I would always say don't take it, like it needs to be a step-by-step approach. So you don't overhaul your diet in a week. 
we need to relearn what our, again our ancestors knew, which was that you do need to spend time on food preparation. But ultimately, you know, again, this is probably a bigger thing than just an individual is looking at our society as to, well, why do people feel that they need to work those long hours? What are the work environment um, expectations? Why do people work in some really toxic environments where it's um, deemed as a good thing to work such a long day? Um, for me, I prioritize sleep, making sure that I always um, get an adequate amount of sleep, which is seven to eight hours a night. Never compromise on that unless I absolutely have to get up for an early flight, which I avoid. Um, so we, you know, again, it's something that we all need to do is look after our well-being and working those really excessive long hours is not looking after your well-being. And that is going to result in people making shortcuts on their food, which is then going to contribute greater um, to their stress. So we need to revisit that. There's a lot of research that shows that you're going to be more productive if you eat well, and you might be able to do your job in less amount of time uh, if you're feeding your brain. Your brain needs those nutrients to think, to pay attention. Uh, to be creative. So uh, so that may very well be contributing to people feeling they have to work longer hours because they're, they're, they're running on empty. So where to from here, Julia? What would you like to see happen in New Zealand and around the world um, to support mental health through nutrition and micronutrients? I mean, what would you change if you could? I mean, like you are saying earlier, I guess the list is going to be large. It, it is going to be large. I, and so I'd it love- should be. I always say, I, uh, I used to say, I guess I have to change this now, but I used to say, goodness, wouldn't it be great if one of these days I got that phone call from Jacinda Ardern that said, you know what, we finally have caught around and heard about your work that's New Zealand um, bred. Like that's a, the interesting thing is that there's all this research that's done within New Zealand in a, you know, one of our our esteemed institutions, University of, of Canterbury, showing over and over and over again the benefits of this, um, the, the importance of nutrition. And yet it does seem to often be ignored by politicians, by the, the Ministry of Health. Um, you know, where do I go? You know, the, it's, it, nutrition is not part of the conversation uh, in mental health services. So all of that is where I'd love to see things change, that um, they really take it seriously and it's part of it. There's, you know, three full-time equivalent nutritionists in mental health in Christchurch. Um, does that seem adequate <laughs> to you? No. So it's, it's a, a huge problem. Teaching our children about why they need to eat good food. It's not to do an Ironman. Sorry to say that to you guys, but no, it's, it's just it's to, for life, right? It's to be able to succeed and be and live your best life, isn't it? Yeah, but it's also to feed the brain. Yeah, uh, the brain. I always call it the hungriest organ, and it punches above its weight. It's two percent body weight, but it consumes between twenty to forty percent of the nutrients that you eat. So when you eat, you're predominantly feeding your brain. So if we could teach that to children about well, actually, the reason why you need to eat these vitamins and you know make sure that you're getting a good good amount and of vitamins and minerals from nourishing food, is that it's for your brain. It's not to grow. That's yes, that's important. 
It's, but really, you're predominantly feeding your brain. So we need to go back to reminding ourselves of the importance of food for that, um, you know, your, 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 your prefrontal cortex and, uh, you know, just the, the thinking machine that um, sits at the top of us. It's always a very full-on time. But look, Julia, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, really, really have. Now, at the end of our, this podcast, we always do what we call a sprint finish. So it's asking a couple of quick questions, and you answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There's only four of them. Is that okay with you? It is okay with me. So first one, are you a morning person or are you a night person? Goodness, I, I think I'm maybe maybe both. I like it. It's a good answer. You're, you're an all-rounder. All I like that. Um, what's your favourite hobby outside of your work? Ah, okay. I'd say water activities. Great. And nutrition. In your household, is that an art or do you think it's a science? It's both. And when you, uh, whether it's a barbecue or if you're standing there with your, with your husband, you're saying it is a majority of the cooking. So you have a steak. Is it going to be well done, medium or rare? Um, medium. Medium. Perfect. I like it. Okay. And we're done. Julia, thank you very much. You're very welcome. We have made it to the finish line of our podcast, Nutrition Mission with Ansco Foods, Season 1, Beef, Lamb and Iron Man. Thank you, Julia, for joining us, and thank you for tuning in to Nutrition Mission with Ansco Foods. If you enjoyed our podcast and want to find out more, head to anscofoods.com forward slash Ironman for more insights and news. Make sure you tune in next time when we talk once again to Braden Curry and Hannah Berry about tips and advice for recovery after a gruelling Ironman event and chat to them about their experience in Topol's Nutrigrain Ironman New Zealand.